Welcome to the GoBundance Podcast, the audio channel for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. You know, the problem with most successful guys is they are awesome, yet at the same time, they suck. <laughs> They're too one-dimensional. Like, they have big, fat money, but also a big, fat gut. <laughs> or the opposite. They may look good as hell naked, but if you look in their savings account, they're as broke as a $3 watch. Some may have both muscle strength and financial strength, but they've been divorced five times and their kids don't even speak to them. Some have huge smiley family portraits in their foyer, but not a single friend that's honest and objective with them. Some may be gregarious as hell, surrounded by people in hugs galore, but their charitable giving is shameful. Come on, man. Really? That's all you gave back? I think you get my point by now. At GoBundance, we know we're not perfect, but our goal is to be better. Better multidimensionally in six simple categories. We call these our pillars. Number one, horizontal income. Number two, age-defying health. Number three, bucket list adventures. Number four, genuine contribution. Number five, authentic relationships. And number six, extreme accountability. So speaking of number six, let's dig into this week's interview with a GoBro. And you can tell me. Is he walking the talk, or is he a false prophet? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the GoBundance Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber, and today I'm happy to welcome in a guy I've gotten to know a little bit over the last year or so, Daniel Casey. He's a multifamily investor. He's a GoBundance brother. I'm so happy to have him here. Daniel, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Great having you on. I get to, you got to tell a little bit of your story to the Emerge Group uh, through the Millionaire Case Study feature that we have there, which was great. But I'd love to get your background uh, for everybody. Just kind of like where are you from? What do you do now? Kind of give us the whole the whole story of you. Okay, so you know, short version of my background is I'm uh, I'm currently a multifamily real estate investor. However, I you know for the last 20 years, I've been a contractor. We've been a general contractor doing everything from highway and bridge construction work um, for the first 10 years of that to commercial general contracting for the second 10 years of that. And that's kind of what, what opened our eyes to the idea of doing multifamily investing. We, we were the contractor on a handful of large multifamily projects and we realized that we'd rather be the owner than the contractor. Prior to getting into construction, my, my original you know, my kind of my, my original career was as an accountant. I graduated from UCLA with the intention of being a CPA and I went and worked for KPMG. So I, I had a little bit of, I had kind of just a cup of coffee in the world of big six accounting um, and realized very quickly that that wasn't where I wanted to go. And so I, I think I was only there. I don't even know if I was there two full years, but, uh, you know, pretty quickly out of college, realized I didn't want to work for anybody else. Did you work for one of the big firms? Is it big six or big four? Why have I heard big well, four? Well, it's big four now. I, I want to say at the time it was the big six still. I, I worked for um, KPMG, which was- Oh, yeah, oh you mentioned, that's right, KPMG. Yeah. Yep, gotcha. All right, cool. So you went from CPA, was that local where you are now in Washington or was that- I, I did work out of the Seattle office. I was not a CPA. I was a CPA candidate. I never took the exam. So I was actually I working on a client site in, I think, Tallahassee, Florida, the weekend I was scheduled to take the exam, and by that time I had already decided that I didn't want to be a CPA, and so I didn't even bother flying home. So I, I never took the CPA exam. I'm not a CPA. I was just, uh, I was an aspiring CPA. 
That's your cup of coffee. Understood. General contracting. So you mentioned it was better to be the owner than the than the contractor in that regard. Give a little more on that. Why did you realize that? What was the realization on that? Because you were still a business owner with a contracting firm, but you felt like it was better to go into being a, a real estate owner. Well, so it was kind of twofold. So somewhere in the 2015, 2016 range is probably the first time, at least in the modern years that I you know, took a look at what my net income, you know, my, what my net worth was and really kind of tried to get a handle on my finances. And it was, and it was obvious at that point that my, at that point, my net worth was, I don't know, right around a million dollars. I don't have the exact number, but all of it was tied up in a couple of pieces of real estate that we owned. We had bought an office building for the contractor, like, cause we needed an office. And we also owned a small industrial building because we needed a shop. And then I had a duplex that was my original, I lived in it, you know, 21 years ago. And we still had it as a rental, but we didn't, but none of those were bought as investments with any sort of intention. They were always kind of bought to fill needs. You know, I needed a house, I needed an office, I needed a industrial property. And then it was kind of this aha moment 16 years later that I've been a contractor for 16 years and making an income, but I didn't have anything to show from that. The only, the only net worth I had was tied up in these real estate assets. And, but that didn't fully flip the switch. The other side of it was we were doing we had started doing a bunch of relatively large scale remodeling projects for Sunrise Senior Living. They're a large senior living owner. And they had bought a portfolio. They had bought three buildings from Aetna, another big senior living owner. And they basically transformed them. And just kind of by being involved in those projects, I got to see, I mean, I think they paid about 20 million for the three building portfolio. And we did close to $10 million worth of work. But I think at one point when we weren't even done yet, uh, you know, I'd kind of heard it rumored that they were worth somewhere in the 45 to $50 million range. And I'm kind of thinking, well, shoot, it'd be a lot better to be the owner on these <laughs> the, uh, than the contractor. And so that was kind of that, that was, you know, that was the, I, that was sort of when I realized that this is probably a route we should pursue. Gotcha. Now today is the general contracting business still in play or is it something you've sunsetted completely or just sort of touched? So, yeah, so we, we made the decision, I kind of made the decision in, you know, kind of 2017, 2018, that we were going to start pursuing real estate investing more or less full time. So we bought our first uh, multifamily property in August of 2018. And we stopped, we kind of, you know, basically stopped bidding on any new construction work. And so by the end of 2019, we were 100% out of customer work, we kind of just worked off our, you know, our backlog, and then, you know, stopped. So yeah, so we've, we've took, we took our, you know, general contracting business all the way down from, I think there was, you know, possibly like, you know, 20 something employees at the time we made the decision. And I think we were all the way down as low as two at such point as we, you know, we're full time on our own projects. Did you, I'm curious, cause I'm not in that space. I'm in real estate. So I, I've never, I've never, I would say like owned a, a business outside of a real estate business. Right. So did the, did the business have inherent value? Was it something that you could have sold or, or something that you know? And see, and that was, that was really the thing that I started searching for back in 2016 was kind of, you know, for the most part, a contractor is not worth much more than just the people you have working for you. I mean, you might, you know, you could own some real estate or you could own some heavy equipment if you're that type of a contractor and that would have some value. But at the end of the day, you know, you're only as good as your next project. And, you know, so if you have a really good team and some really awesome project managers and estimators. I mean, you have some value there, but we didn't really, we weren't, we were never quite that big. We were always kind of mom and pop. And so the reality is, is we just, there was no intrinsic value. You know, it was kind of like, you know, in order to make more money, we had to go win more jobs and we couldn't really sell it. And that's, so that's, I was really looking, I actually looked at a couple of other industries. Most closely, I looked at starting a property management company 
because I just like the idea of recurring revenue. I like the idea that if I accumulated a few hundred doors as a property manager, that had that had value that I could turn around and at some point sell that business. And thankfully, I didn't end up starting a property management company. But why, you know, thankfully? Huh? Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm we're, now we're doing property management. We have, we have our own internal management company, but clearly, the, you know, there's a lot. It, it's a lot better to be on the owner side of the equation than the property manager. Gotcha. Not that that's a bad business if that's what somebody wants to go into. I mean, we, we, you know, maybe at some point in time, we'll actually start managing other people's properties, but that's, you know, not what we're doing right now. No, it makes sense. Makes complete sense. You say we, who is we, if you don't mind me asking, is that you, your wife, or is that? I, I, I always, I always talk in we, I mean, I, I mean, we, as in, you know, me and my team here, but it's, it's really just me. It's just my, well, myself and my wife, but she's not involved in the day-to-day operation. So I'm the, I'm kind of the sole owner. Well, I saw somewhere, it's funny you say that, I don't know where I saw it, but a quote or something where it said that, like the highly successful, the most successful, maybe even the billionaires speak in terms of we, they never talk in terms of me, right? And what you just said, it, yeah, okay, you are the sole proprietor, sole owner uh, of this business, but you value, by saying we, you value the entirety of your team and include them in the success that you've had, which I think is really cool. So just the point I wanted to kind of, one, honor you on and put out there for everybody else that's watching or listening right now. So very cool. Yeah, of course. So you joined GoBundance when? I joined in October of 2018. What, uh, what's your portfolio look like today as far as multifamily? Uh, today? So as of today, we've got 62 uh, multifamily units. And then we also have an office building in that industrial building I mentioned before. So that's, that's our entire portfolio. We're in, we're in contract to purchase 64 more units and then we're also in contract to purchase a uh, a local motel here oh nice what's the if you don't mind me asking what's the plan with the motel so it was originally brought to me as an apartment conversion project by a you know by a wholesaler that i work with and so i you know i was looking at it i got it under contract with the idea that we might convert this from a motel to apartments but then after doing some due diligence we realized it just wasn't wasn't practical in the way the jurisdiction was i mean we would have needed so many different variances to even get from motel to apartments. And then once we got there, the you know, the zoning and the, the, the densest zoning the city had would have only allowed 17 units on the lot. So then we would have had to be creating an entirely new zoning density. It just kind of seemed like this wasn't going to be a practical approach. But in the process, you know, we realized that there's probably some real money in the, in the motel. I mean, it's kind of like it's an underutilized asset. It's in a really good part of town. It's walking distance from the hospital, which is the largest employer. And, and the big thing for us is, you know, so we're, we're, uh, we're really more of a developer than real estate investor. I mean, our big deal is that we, you know, we do a lot of heavy renovation, but especially because of different issues with COVID right now, it's very hard to control vacancy on apartment buildings. So we're a little bit at the mercy of when people come and go in terms of how many units we can renovate. And it seemed like a real advantage to have 51 motel rooms that all needed renovation where we can completely control the availability of those so that it would allow us to sort of scale up the construction side without fear that, you know, we won't be able to get three more units to do next month because we'd always have this kind of backlog of motel rooms to renovate. So whenever, whenever there weren't apartments available, we'd be able to, you know, kind of fall back on that. So that's, that's been the plan. And, and, and they, you know, motels kick off a lot of cash. I'm kind of, I was kind of shocked to see how much, you know, the potential cash flow could be. Hopefully would it be it run like a motel or is it going to be run Airbnb? Like how would you actually run it? 
we're we're gonna i mean our plan is to basically run it like a extended stay motel so it'll okay. it'll still be a night it'll still be a nightly rental but we are gonna do some we're gonna put kitchenettes in them and make them kind of efficiency extended stay sort of concept and we are we are sort of expecting with the hospital walking distance we there are a lot of you know kind of contractors and travel nurse types that would be you know essentially looking for longer term out of town housing and so we think that that could probably be about 50 percent of our occupancy interesting what's up everybody this is pat hyben and tim road founders of GoBundance and we wanted to give you a quick sneak peek of our August event coming up in Steamboat, Colorado. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback that you'd love to see us kind of go back to the old ways. Want to see us do the one sheets, want to see go talks, more connecting at the event. So we're committed this year and we promise, number one, all four elders are going to be there. Number two, it's going to be 50% on stage, 50% off stage, which means you know, 50% of the time at least is going to be spent interacting with all the other members. And some of the cool things that we got going for you on stage is, of course, as usual, we're going to do the bull versus bear. And we really, really put our heads together and said, what is something that's debatable? And that one thing is retail. So we are going to bull versus bear on the asset class retail real estate. Is that going to bomb or should you be buying into that? That's number one. We're going to be doing the ever popular 728 program with Aaron West, Daniel Del Real. We're going to have David Osborne leading three businesses through the gauntlet. The gauntlet. And if you haven't seen the last gauntlet, the gauntlet is basically it's a shark tank. David's going to run the shark tank. He's going to be like the three shark tank judges all in one. Actually, what he's going to be is he's going to be like the, the, lead, the interactive guy. And then the audience is going to be like the judges. So the three Shark Tank people will come and present at the gauntlet. Then they'll go into a soundproof booth. And everybody will rip them to shreds in the audience. So it'll be really, really cool and very engaging as to um, how people pick apart investments. And, of course, they're real investments. So afterwards, if you want to throw some money down on it, you can too. And then during the day, of course, we'll be getting the goods in the woods. We have all sorts of fun things lined up for you. Plenty of options to play hard, to uh, play light. However you play, there will be a way for you to get it. Yep, and something we're going to do that's, that we haven't done before, we're going to have a very organized golf tournament. It's going to be a GoPod golf tournament, or if your GoPod is not there, then you can just pick a random foursome. We're also going to have an ultimate Frisbee GoPod challenge. So in your GoPod, you're going to go against other GoPods in a game of ultimate Frisbee, and we're going to bracket it. We're going to have a huge prize at the end for the winner. So here's the deal. Sign up. Come to Steamboat in August. Here's all the information on the screen. We look forward to seeing you there. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. You're you're a, a coastal investor. You're Tacoma, Seattle area. Maybe all Tacoma for that. Yeah, we're, we're 100% in the Tacoma market. Yeah. Okay. 
expensive market. That's not a cheap market. And I think that's a struggle for, I mean, struggle for me to look at deals outside of where I am now in Michigan, back where I'm from in New York and, and, and Boston, where you are, LA, all of that, and find deals that seem to work. So can you give, I don't know, a couple of thoughts on how do you find deals at high price points per unit like you, like you have to buy in a Tacoma? How do you find those and how do you make them work? Is it just that rents and, and, and all of that are high enough or is there something, another trick? So I think, you know, we're kind of just, you know, we're gaining clarity on this as we go. And so, you know, I'm probably going to give you a different answer today than I'm going to give you 60 days ago. Sure. But I think the real, the real benefit of investing in a market, in a, in a more urban, low cap rate market like Tacoma or Seattle or like in any other kind of larger cities is that we have a full spectrum of renters. Like we have everything from, you know, your typical workforce housing style, you know, you're kind of your working class renter all the way up to, you know, multi six figure earning millennials who just don't want to buy a house. And so the, so what we really do is we really buy, we buy kind of underutilized C-class assets in desirable neighborhoods and we turn them into what we call B plus. But what we're really doing is creating affordable middle-class housing. Like we're not we're not trying to buy, you know, workforce housing, make some improvements, and then re-rent it back out to workforce tenants for a few hundred bucks more than they were paying before. We're really trying to buy, you know, C-class assets in good neighborhoods, do significant renovations, significantly increase the, the you know, finish level and, you know, the amenities. And then we're renting them back out to middle-class tenants who the alternative for them is either class A, you know, class A downtown high rise style apartments or buying a home, which in our neighborhood is extremely unaffordable. So, you know, we buy like for, you know, we're looking at a project right now where, you know, current rent on the two bedroom apartments that we're, you know, that are in there now is somewhere between, you know, nine and $1,100 a month. But these are, you know, they're maintained, but old finishes. These are, these are very low end apartments. We're planning on doing a couple million dollars with a renovation to this community fully renovating all of the units. We're looking at rents on the backside of that that are more like, you know, 1750 to 1950 a month. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not just a slight repositioning of C-class asset. Like we're creating a, we're kind of creating an asset for a totally different, you know, for a totally different client. What what age of building are these? You say C class is it C class and H built in the sixty seventies or more new? Yeah, I mean, I think the particular one I was talking about was built in sixty six, maybe sixty four, something like that. Wow. I mean, a lot of stuff in this. You know, a lot. You know, the oldest buildings in Tacoma are a hundred years old, like you know, early early nineteen hundreds. But there's kind of as you get outside of the real core, a lot of the there was a lot of you know kind of apartment communities, garden style apartment communities that were built in the sixties and seventies, and so that's there's a lot of those assets out on the market where they're, you know, they've been maintained and maybe somewhat updated, but now all of a sudden they're sitting in an area where the average single family home sells for seven or $800,000 and you've still got a, you know, two bedroom apartment that you can rent for 900 bucks. So like there's kind of a, there's a, there's a gap. It's interesting. I, I was talking to a guy last night about uh, what he calls a CapEx tsunami coming, meaning 60s, which I own as well, 60s and 70s built garden style apartment buildings that people have purchased. You know, you go in, like, I, I don't do what you do. I don't, you're doing like a full on gut job with, you know, millions of dollars of renovation and updating all the units and making it, like you said, you're, you're, in, you're jumping a class essentially by what you do. But his point was, yeah, a lot of those buildings, people buy them, they're buying them at a premium. And then now you're going to have these issues with, you know, 
uh, electrical or whatever the case be. But you're getting ahead of that. It sounds like you're you're essentially you know you're you're eliminating capex right up front by by putting it into the property. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, and the truth is, I mean, we kind of think of ourselves a lot more like a developer. You know, we're we're really. I mean, it's not new construction, but it's significant enough that I, I wouldn't. You know, I would I would think our business model looks a little bit more like a developer than it does just a typical real estate investor. But yeah, but that's what we're doing is we're buying, we're basically completely repositioning these assets. Very cool. No, interesting. It's, it's, I, you know, again, I love the story. I love hearing about what you, you've done. I feel like there was one other thing, but I'll, uh, I'll skip past it and we'll dive into uh, the rest of it. But no, man, I appreciate all of your, your openness on this. It's an interesting, it's an, it's interesting to hear how you do that, where you do it. And you've got a very specific model that you've applied. I do remember what I was going to ask you. So you joined GoBundance back in 2018. Uh, can you talk about how that has impacted you, if at all, uh, your career or whatever the case may be? Like, what's been the the value of you being a part of a community like this? You know, I joined GoBundance primarily because I was looking for kind of a social circle that was, you, you know, familiar to me. I think I was a pretty typical story what they talk about with GoBundance. You know, I was you know, off here, you know, off in Tacoma, living my life, doing my thing. The most people, most of the people that I interacted with on a daily basis were either my employees or, you know, we have some kind of friends, you know, like husbands of my wife's friends and, you know, people we know from church, but it wasn't really like, I didn't have a lot of, I, I wasn't connected to any other entrepreneurs that were doing anything even remotely like, you know, that I was doing. So that's why I joined Abundance and, and I have gained, you know, it took, it took a little while to finally feel like I really fit in and I really knew, knew the people, but, you know, I, I, for sure, the biggest thing I've gotten out of GoBundance is the relationships. And then I think there's a lot of intangibles. It's hard to, it's hard to point to one specific thing, but, you know, when you, when you kind of see all these people that you know, and that you know, and you know that they're not just celebrities, they're kind of like real guys doing real stuff. And you see, their wins and their accomplishments, it just kind of constantly reinforces the idea that it's possible. And so it makes it a lot easier to believe that you can do all this stuff when you have all this evidence of other regular guys out doing it. And I think that's probably the, you know, kind of the biggest impact is sort of just that, you know, fostering this belief that success is, you know, not just possible, but like imminently possible. 100%. 100%. And you've, uh, you've, you've had enough success where you've been able to step up to the champion uh, room uh, recently. I think that was within the last year, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, you, I mean, you tell me, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But how about that? You know, being part of the champion, which for those that don't know, is our, is our sort of next level up of net, of net worth group. What, is that, what value have you gotten from that? I mean, I've, I've had some exposure to it and it's been immensely valuable for me just to kind of peek at it. But you being a member of the champion division, just any thoughts on that? Yeah. So yeah, I just joined the champions event just this past fall. The first or the champions group, the first event I went to was I went to a, they did a meetup in Austin back in October and, and, you know, so to back it up. So when I first, the very first event I went to with GoBundance was winter 2019 in Breckenridge. And at that point in time, I really had barely any idea what GoBundance was all about. I was extremely intimidated about going and being in a room full of millionaires. I think I expected them all to either look like the monopoly man or like the guys you see driving around Newport Beach in their Mercedes convertibles. And I was kind of shocked that none of them looked like either of those two characters. Yeah. And in fact, you would have probably never thought you were in a room of millionaires. But then when we, so when I got there, so I was overwhelmed by the whole thing. And then I noticed there was these guys wearing black badges and they said champion. I was like, well, I didn't, I hadn't even heard of that. And so um, somebody explained what it was and they got to, you know, what you have to have a $5 million net worth, I think is what I was told at the time, I think, or the other, or you could have a million dollars of income. 
But, um, you know, they got to leave and go for a special dinner up in a private dining room. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, okay, I'm going to figure out what it takes to do that because, you know, that's way cooler than being in, you know, in this room with just a bunch of single millionaires. And so, um, but anyhow, so that was 20, that was 2019. And then, yeah, so I got, I got into champions this past year. So like it would have been what October, 2020. And, uh, you know, it's, I, well, you know, there's a lot of things. One is it's, there's less people in the room, which just increases the depth, you know, like you get, you know, there's less people to interact with. And so you can have a deeper interaction with more of them. And then there's also some really successful people in that room. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of the, the small fish in a big pond up there, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's inspiring. It's educational. I mean, it's just kind of a, you know, it's a fun thing. Like I hope that eventually there's another level to hit because I do think it's motivating. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. I agree with that. That's my, my aspiration is to be in that room as well. Like I said, I got to sit in on one day of one event recently, uh, which was really cool to be a part of. And what was really neat to me was while financial success, of course, is sort of foundational to be in that room. The discussion was more around parenthood, fatherhood, uh, you know, the kind of men that all of you, all of us are trying to be. Uh, that was really inspiring for me. So you, as you said, being inspired by a lot of these other guys, you're one of those guys for guys like me. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate being in this virtual room with you right now. So yeah. let's... One let's more thing. Oh, go ahead. So somebody else, because I think some guys in my pod had asked me about the champions group. They kind of said, well, what's different? What's different in the champions room than the elite room? And I think the one thing that seems the most, that stands out as the most different is I feel like a lot of guys, when they're kind of, you know, in that one to $2 million range, they're looking for, you know, tips and tricks. Everyone's kind of open to all of the different ways everybody else is making money. And they're all kind of like constantly running these ideas through their minds saying like, Oh, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I should go buy, you know, mobile homes. Maybe I need an Airbnb. Maybe I should like go rent out my RV. Maybe I should go, you know, they're like, it's, it's just, it's overwhelming all the choices. And generally speaking, that's not how you gain traction and make any real progress so for the most part i think the guys who've made it into the champions room all kind of recognize that there's a thousand ways to make money but you can only really be good at one of them and so they're no longer interested in hearing everybody else's tips and tricks you know it's like if you have a specific problem there's guys in that room who've done it before and you've been through that problem and they can help you and show you what you need to do to get to the next level but you know there's not very many people i don't feel like in the champions group people are kind of you know surveying one another looking for their next big idea. If like that, that. Makes, that, uh, that makes total that, sense. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. in a room of guys who have, who have gone uh, mile deep inch wide, as opposed to, as opposed to maybe, you know, many of us, and you're right. I, I get shiny object all the time. Like, all right, I want to get to that level. So it's like, I know I'm in multifamily. Maybe I got to jump into this and maybe I got to vertically integrate this business or whatever the case may be. But yeah, linear focus, singular focus, really kind of uh, uh, driven through. So that makes sense. I like that. That's a really good distinction. I appreciate that. Very cool. So let's dive into your one sheet, the baseball card of your life. We're going to go pillar by pillar uh, and learn a little bit more about you through this. Let's start with our first pillar around horizontal income. And quite simply, what is your horizontal income and how many lines of income is that? So horizontal income is $171,000. I mean, it's all, you know, you could, it depends on how you want to count it. You could say it's 62 lines because there's 62 different apartments, but it's all, it's all multifamily. So I don't have any, I don't have any non- you know, non-residential real estate, uh, you know, horizontal income coming in. Gotcha. That probably answers the question about uh, uh, what percentage of your net worth is in real estate. It sounds like all of it at this point. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I have some, you know, I have a, I have, you know, some, a little bit of, you know, stock market exposure. I have some retirement accounts and stuff like that, but like, it's, you know, relatively concentrated. I mean, you know, probably 75% of it's in real estate. Makes sense. How about your horizontal to net worth ratio? So your horizontal income as a percentage of your total net worth. Uh, horizontal, <laughs> my horizontal to net worth ratio is only 3%. Hey. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's probably a consequence of the fact that all of my horizontal income is, you know, coming out of the Tacoma market where our cap rates are extremely low. And so there's not, you know, if, if I was focused on horizontal income, I could certainly relocate my portfolio to somewhere where I'd earn a lot better return on equity. Makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And at this point, what percentager are you? I am a, I know that number's on here somewhere. I'm an 88 percenter. So getting close. Any big celebration plan when you hit the hundred mark? Go to Belize, something. You know, I, you know, probably not. But you know, I mean, it, it feel, you know, it, 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 it's it's nice to have horizontal income, and I'm it's it's actually not my primary motivation right now. I mean, I kind of feel like we're in a spot right now where if we chose to, we could probably reallocate a lot of things and become hundred percenters. But you know, that's not what we're doing. We're really focused on building the building the business. Makes sense. Well, yeah, you've got a couple of deals in the till here. It sounds like that are going to really expand your portfolio and grow you quite a bit you know, on, on just a couple of deals. So very cool. Let's jump over to age-defying health. So what is your current weight and body fat percentage? I'm 165 pounds, about 18% body fat. And you're pretty tall. You've got to be what, six foot, six one? Yeah, six foot even. Six foot, yeah. So yeah, pretty lean in that regard, which is, which is good for you. How about your diet? What does that look like? How are you staying so lean? What are you eating? So, you know, diet shifts a little bit. I mean, we've, I'm, I eat a very low carb diet. We've done different things. I mean, sometimes it's been full keto. Other times it's been just kind of more of a paleo diet, but I, you know, we, we, my wife and I, now this, we is me and my wife, my wife and I started, you know, eating healthier a couple of years ago and we've experimented with different versions of it. But generally speaking, we eat kind of a low carb paleo diet. Makes sense. How about exercise? What's your routine look like these days? My exercise routine is very ad hoc. I just, you know, a lot of mornings I do, you know, either pull-ups or push-ups kind of as part of my, you know, miracle morning, but that's very much a short, you know, that's a few minutes just to kind of get the blood pumping. And then I really don't have a regular, you know, major workout routine. You know, during hunting season, I do a ton of hiking. When it's not hunting season, occasionally I do some hiking, but I, I, you know, that's probably, if there's a, if there's a weakness in my, you know, in my system, it's probably the, it's the, you know, regular physical fitness part of it. You know, I've heard a lot of people that are of uh, uh, very physical, but like, what's, if you could do only one thing, push-ups. So if you're doing that every morning, there's something to that. And you're remaining active, it sounds like, which is important. So yeah, hey, look, there's plenty of room in the spinning classroom. That's uh, my spot. So <laughs> always welcome to have you come in. I hear there's a mouthy instructor though. I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> there's a few of them. It's kind of a compilation of like five of them, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I take a little poetic license with some of their comments as well. <laughs> Authentic relationships. So you mentioned your wife. Tell me a little bit about your wife, kids. What's what's family life look like? Okay, so my wife will. We're coming up on our twenty second anniversary here in another month. You know, kind of fun fact is we've actually known each other our entire lives. Like we grew up in the same nursery at this at the church we went to in Whittier. So I'm two years older than her, so I've known her whole her her whole life. But we got married young. Yeah, twenty two years. We've got three kids. I've got a seventeen year old daughter, a twelve year old son, and a nine year old daughter. Wow. Wow. What are anything that they're really into? You see them going into the family business at this point or they have their own interests? They're all into different things. So my 17 year old right now is she's basically been working as a full-time nanny for most of 
2020, like it was kind of a benefit to her when they canceled school so she could just, you know, do all of that. So she's been working as a full-time nanny. She's saving money. Her goal is to buy a house before she's out of high school. So that would put it sometime in the next year she wants to own a rental property. Hmm. You know, we're kind of in that conversation right now about whether she's going to college. We'll see what happens with that. My my son is, you know, 12 and he's kind of the you know, he's definitely into all the video games and everything else. He's not, he's, he's not the super, he's, he's not the athletic one in the family. He kind of loves the, you know, he likes everything, you know, everything digital. And then my youngest one, she's kind of just a, she's tall and lean and, you know, she's outside climbing trees, you know, never sits still, you know, she's the wild one. Bundle of energy. I like it. That's cool. How about your life happiness index? What is that currently? And what's the lowest category? So based on the GoBundance method of calculating it, it comes out as an 8.35. Happy man. I like that. Yeah, I, I, would, generally, I would generally say, I mean, if you just ask me happy or not, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, one, I'm an optimist, but two, I'm just generally, you know, I, I'm very happy. Nice. And, what's and the, what, 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 what are lows if you have lows? Well, I put my, my, I've got two sixes on my list, and one of them is in the exercise category, and the other is in parents and siblings. Gotcha. Exercise we talked about. Sounds like you're just, you know, hey, yeah, at some point you have to just kind of choose something and go with it. But talk about parents and siblings, if you don't mind. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> I think the issue there is, you know, we just kind of drift apart more so than I might have wanted. You know, there's not, we don't, there's no real family drama, family conflicts. There's sure. just not, you know, we're just kind of all doing our own thing. My, we're pretty close with all of my wife's siblings. And, you know, and I think we look at some of my siblings and say, it'd be nice if we had a little more of that. But, you know, there's no particular problem. I mean, I, I have as much responsibility as anybody for, you know, kind of just letting those ties drift apart. We're pretty close to my parents or we were pre-COVID that, you know, COVID's definitely affected the, you know, frequency with which we've seen them in the last year. But, you know, I'm really close with my dad. My parents live just, you know, 10 minutes away from us. So it's really, uh, it's really more the sibling side of it than the parent side of it. Got it. No, that makes sense. Yeah, time just kind of passes by, life happens, and before you know it, it's like, I haven't seen you in six months or whatever the case Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, it. you know, people get busy, people move move away, you know, not, we don't all live in the same state anymore, so it's, yeah. you, you know, you have to be that much more intentional to try to stay in contact. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, let's jump to genuine contribution. What is your current give back ratio, or you could just, you know, put out there what you are giving total, if you'd like, either one. So my give back ratio, according to this, is 4%. You know, our, our biggest contributions were, so we're pretty involved in, a, in Young Life. I don't know if you're familiar with what Young no, Life is. But one Life, but I don't know Young Life. No. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, I, I confuse the two, too, and I talk about it. I often interchange those two, two words. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so Young Life is a, it's a Christian organization. It's based on working with teenagers. But it's kind of, it's a little different. It's a little different than a youth group in the sense that its primary goal is not, you know, kind of evangelism and, you know, I guess, you know, shepherding them in a church environment. It's much more about creating like adult mentorships and really just walking through life. It, it's for, it was for all teenagers, but it's probably a little bit focused on, you know, kids who come from a little more troubled backgrounds. And so my wife's done it. My wife's been a Young Lives leader, which is a teen mom kind of segment of Young Life. And she's been a Young Lives leader for, I don't even know where we're at, seven or eight years now. And, um, and so I've worked with her and supported her in that. And then in the last couple of years, we uh, became part of our local Young Life Committee, which is kind of the local board of directors is probably the closest equivalent. And so 
you know, we're, we're, we're pretty involved in that in a number of different ways. Our kids are also involved in, in young life groups and stuff. So that's our primary give back. Love it. That's awesome. That's great. It's nice to be focused on something like you have a specific kind of uh, agenda, if you will, with your, with your contribution. On the accountability side, who is currently in your GoPod and how often do you meet? So I've got, in my GoPod, I've got Trent Parks, James Aduna, uh, Jonathan, oh gosh, I'm, I'm horrible with names. Like what's, what's Jonathan's last name? It's Jonathan and then Gabe Radowski. I don't even know how to say his last name, but um, that's, that's my GoPod. It's the five of us. Gotcha. You meet weekly every other week? We meet every week, every, every Thursday morning. Beautiful. What's the current topic of discussion, if there is one? Well, so as of today, I think we spent, you know, at least half the meeting talking about who's planning to go or not go to the steamboat trip in the summer and, you know, debating what our opinions are on this whole vaccine rollout. But on a normal week, we typically kind of do highs and lows and we kind of go around the room and everybody kind of does highs and lows from the last week. And then we once a quarter try to get through everyone's one sheets. But what typically happens is we get through about half of a one sheet in a day and then the next week we make it up. And so it almost takes us a whole quarter just to get through all five one sheets and then we're pretty much ready to start it over again. So. Gotcha. Yeah, we have the same problem. You just, it's hard to, to, to sum it up in 10 minutes when you want to dig in, right? You want to ask guys questions and really like get to the heart of it and go you know, levels deep. So we, yeah, we, we struggle a little bit with that as well. What are some of the biggest goals you have from a business perspective in the next 12 months? So, well, next, well, let's, you know, my big goal right now is to get to 400 units. We're probably not going to hit that in 12 months, but I, that's kind of sometime between, you know, it's probably more like a 24, 24 to 36 month goal. I mean, yeah. specifically in the next 12 months, we look to have it, we look to be at at least 150 units by, you know, by the end of the year. And then the other kind of less tangible, but just as important goal is where, you know, we're really working towards getting our internal property management and our internal construction businesses to be self-sufficient. You know, we're kind of getting close to a size where, you know, they, you know, where we'll basically be collecting enough property management fees from our own properties to cover all of the overhead associated with property management so that it's no longer a overhead drain. It's kind of its own little cost center, even though it's still purely internal. So we're, that's, that's what I'm working. I'm trying to get construction and property management to be self-sufficient and, uh, you know, grow the unit count. I'm curious on the self-sufficiency part. Is that a, a function of, do you have the right, are you thinking of the right people? Are there systems, whether it's like an EOS, attraction, uh, e-myth, any, any of that uh, stuff? Like what, what's the combination? So like we, uh, so we do follow, we, we started implementing EOS, you know, four years ago and we've kind of been tinkering with it ever since we, uh, so part of a systems, part of it's just scale. I mean, the thing is, you know, you need a certain amount of rent coming in every month that, you know, so that if you're charging yourself a 5% management fee, it covers your nut. So I mean, part of it's just getting to the point where we have enough rent coming in that we can cover the management on the construction side. It's similar. It's a lot of, it's just having, you know, you can only make, you know, we're chart, we're basically an internal customer. So we're paying ourselves to do this work. And so, you know, you've just got to have enough volume of work to cover the overhead. So but, you know, we are, we are working on systems. We're working on people, you know, I'm always intrigued by these different, you know, kind of management philosophies. You know, we were following EOS for a while and then I'm, you know, I, like I said, we kind of tinker with it. Like I just read Don Wenner's book. Have you read that building an elite organization? No, it's a really, really good book. And so he has, I mean, he's built this phenomenal business. It's crazy. DLP capital is, is this amazing example of what you can do with, you know, a real estate investment business. 
but he follows some sort of a mashup that he created that's like part EOS, part uh, 4DX, you know, four disciplines of execution, and then part all of the good to great concepts. And he's kind of create. I mean, I mean, his is fairly complex. He calls it the elite operating system. And so, anyhow, so we're we're tinkering with some of that too. It's kind of it's fun. Gotcha. But no, it makes sense. So the heart of it is you scale the unit count that allows you to potentially have the revenue you need to fund these internal businesses so that you can continue to, to maybe operationalize and systematize them. That makes sense. Sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. What about uh, bucket list adventures? What are some of the, the greatest future hits that you have coming up for you? Any big adventures you have coming up? You know, I don't have a lot of traditional bucket list adventures. I think, you know, my, my big long-term goals, the two things that I kind of, that drive me more than anything else is ultimately I want to live on a ranch, probably in Montana. And I want a second home down in the desert, um, specifically inside Bighorn, which is in Palm Desert in California. Those are the two, those are like my two big life goals. The only thing that I have on my list that's kind of a bucket list adventure is at some point it'd be fun to go on a mountain sheep hunt, but like, I don't have, I don't even have a particular time stamp on that because you know i you know it'll happen it'll happen one of these days key question where in the world does somebody go on a mountain sheep hunt does that happen in like timbuktu where, where does that happen oh i mean ideally if it happened if i draw the tags i want it'll happen in nevada but you know we'll see okay. where it you know i mean the thing is generally speaking the western u.s or uh you know canada and alaska is kind of some of the best i mean that's what i'm looking at i mean i'm sure you can go hunt some other weird sheep in india or something but i'm, I'm just talking about regular old you know rocky mountain bighorn sheep so are sheep difficult to hunt i don't mean to be ignorant about this but like i feel i feel like i've seen sheep at like a petting zoo and they just don't move much you see them standing on the side of the road like the thing is it's not that they're difficult to hunt there's a couple of factors one it's very difficult or expensive to draw a tag like you either have to pay 40 50 grand for a tag or you can you know try to draw one in the various lottery options and it's very you know just very hard to draw and then it's not that they're particularly difficult from a hunting standpoint but where they live is very difficult to access so it's it's not that like there's actually much harder animals to locate and hunt but you know you you might have to climb to the top of a mountain to kill the sheep I'm just picturing that. So I can see like you get to the top, you're kind of loaded up, ready to go. You're out of breath and you're almost like telling the sheep, like, just one minute, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you in a minute. Give me one sec. You're kind of dropped on your knees. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's a, I, 50 grand to do This is a, this is a thing. This is like an, an elite exclusive sport. This is crazy. Yeah, well, it is. It is crazy. And that's, I mean, and part of me has, there's, there, you know, there's part of me that feels like I don't really want to go pay my way in. I want to, you know, earn it or, you know, draw it, you know, kind of, you know, you know what I mean, like organically. So we'll see. I mean, at some point in time, I'll probably just decide that I'll, you know, pay to do it if I want to. But like, honestly, you know, if the opportunity presented itself right now and somebody said, oh, hey, I'd give you a half price deal for 25 grand, we can go kill a sheep. I don't think I'd want to. I'm kind of, no, I'll take my chances. Let's see if I can draw one in the next 10 years. So we'll see. I like it. So you got a, a, a goal within the goal. That's very cool. All right. Well, let's wrap this up with a random question from the GoBundance card game. I did pull this before. I did not tell you, nor do I tell anybody what the question was, but it is the four of diamonds. I don't know why I always give the card. It really doesn't matter, but I feel like I need to. But here's the question. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? What do I love and appreciate about myself? Deep, um, man. Deep. You know, I probably love that I am optimistic and a risk taker. I mean, I think those are kind of both two things that have served me well. I mean, they can get me into trouble occasionally because I, 
you know, tend to always think everything's going to work out perfectly. But, you know, I mean, I think that's, you know, I probably owe most of what I've accomplished in life to, you know, taking risks and being optimistic. And so I, I, I like that about me. I love that. You know, it's, I took this course once, once upon a time called sacred gifts and it's, it's got a religious overtone to it, but it, it, it has 24 different gifts that you learn, which are yours. And you, you know, you have multiple, but one of the gifts, and it's an interesting thing to call it a gift is extraordinary trust, which essentially leans into what you just talked about a little bit of optimism, some risk-taking kind of a general idea of like, I'm going to go with what I think is the right thing to do and trust that uh, I can either deal with whatever's going to happen or that I'm going to succeed one way or the other, even if it's not, immediately or if I have instant failures or failures along the way, I will succeed in the end. Uh, so it sounds like you have that gift, which is really, really neat. So there you go. You, you, you have that gift from me that you have that gift. <laughs> Thank you. Something like that. Daniel, how can people learn more about you, you know, website, social media handle, anything that you want to put out there for people to either reach out to you or learn more about you and your business? You know, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not super social media. I don't even have an Instagram account. So, you know, but you know, you can find me on Facebook. You, you have, they can email me. I'm, I'm Daniel at blackrocknw.com, which is also the URL of our construction company. It's blackrocknorthwest.com. So yeah. beautiful. Well, hey man, I appreciate it. Uh, learned a ton as always uh, from you. This is like the second time I've gone deep with you on, on, on who you are and everything. And I've gotten more nuggets, including uh, a mountain geek, mountain sheep hunting. I've never heard of this before. So very cool. I appreciate you being on. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Fun. The wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. They are the Australia, you croaky abundant sky. Well, the Aussies won't have us, but the Ecuadorians are saying, come on, win it, go abundance. Grab life big at the Galapagos Islands and Ecuador. September 13th through September 23. We fly into Quito and immediately ship off to the Hot Springs Resort where you can put one foot in the Northern Hemisphere and one foot in the Southern Hemisphere at the same time. Selfie! Day two, we travel to the Amazon jungle and go straight into it with some epic class four whitewater rafting. That night we stay at stunning Hamadrati Jungle Lodge. Then, we travel downriver to a remote indigenous village for our give back project. There we'll be giving to a village of indigenous Ecuadorians who so need our help in rebuilding their community. And of course, we will be bringing hundreds of GoBundance Frisbees to teach the kids the game of Ultimate Frisbee. Later that day, we'll be welcomed into the same community and thankful for our efforts and we stay with the tribe. We say adios to our newfound friends and travel back upriver and onward by road from the jungle back into the mountains. This afternoon, we'll reach Banos, a small town situated in a valley at the base of an active volcano 
Then we'll head to nearby San Martin Canyon for a bunch of cool activities like ziplining, walking across a high, high, high suspension bridge, via Ferrata, whatever the hell that is, and a canopy jump into the Rio Pastraza. Sort of like 12 shots of B12 right there. Day five, from Banos, higher to the Andes towards Cota Paxi. Now, we're gonna break into two groups. Each group is gonna do something on this amazing mountain or volcano. You will have your choice. Choice one, we're gonna wake up at midnight and summit that sucker so we are there at the sunrise. Now the summit is 19,347 feet. No joke. I highly recommend you train hard for this. Be ready for this because 19,347 is no joke. We'll have another group head to Hacienda La Aligra, a family-owned horse farm located in the panoramic volcano valley. We're gonna do some horseback riding and then do an epic mountain bike ride. You don't have to decide till you get there. It's gonna be absolutely epic either way. We'll all return to Quito. It's time for Aspiring Adventures Epic Amazing Race. What a way to see Quito, Ecuador. Then we fly out of Quito to the Galapagos Islands. There we stay at the famous Finch Bay Eco Hotel for three nights in a row. And this afternoon, we're gonna go wander and check out some of the weird and wonderful wildlife. We're gonna do some scuba diving, snorkeling in the pristine waters of the Galapagos. Bucket list item check! Then on day 10, we are going deep sea fishing. This will be a day of epic nautical bombastia. Then we fly out of the Galapagos, refreshed, re-energized, and with a soul that is majorly fulfilled. Ecuador is bound to be one of GoBundance's most epic international adventures yet. And I hope to see you there. Go Ecuador! Thank you for tuning in to the GoBundance Podcast. We hope to see you at a live event in the near future. If you're new to us, here's a quick explanation of our programs. Number one, Emerge, a web-based journey for millionaires to be. Number two, Ascend, an interactive mastermind, the next stage of our journey. Number three, GoBundance Elite, the original tribe of millionaires. Number four, GoBundance Champions, five million net worth and above. Number five, GoBundance Women, a tribe of amazing badass women. For detailed information on all five of these, simply find us at GoBundance.com. Until then, grab life big.